Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense and crime and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. October is Monster Month here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, and this week's monster is The Mummy. After excavating a veritable tomb of mummy-related stories, I chose Whence Came You from Quiet, Please. Quiet, Please was the brainchild of radio and screenwriter Willis Cooper, creator of another famous radio series, Lights Out. In contrast to the grisly horror of Lights Out, Quiet, Please was, well, quieter. Cooper relied heavily on the everyman voice of his lead actor, radio and quiz host Ernest Chappell, to tell stories that felt both intimate and fantastical. Together, the duo created some of radio's most original and lasting works, including the all-time horror classic, the Thing on the Forbal Board. Quiet Please debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting Network on June 8, 1947. In September 1948, the series switched to ABC and remained there until its final broadcast on June 25, 1949. In total, 106 episodes were made, 89 of which still exist today. Unfortunately, many of these recordings are of extremely poor quality and make listening to them difficult. But Cooper's rich imagination, combined with Chapel's engrossing performance, make the effort worthwhile. Quiet Please is often categorized as horror, probably due to Cooper's roots in the genre. But Richard Hand, author of Terror on the Air, argues any attempt to categorize the series feels like diminishing the scope of its achievement. In his essential reference book, The Encyclopedia of Old-Time Radio, author John Dunning describes Willis Cooper as radio's best practitioner of an almost surrealistic, dramatic form that sometimes reads as poetry but contains all the elements of the play. But what about Whence Came You? Does it defy classification? Is it horror? Romance? Masonic propaganda? Does it even qualify as a mummy story? Well, that's what we're about to find out. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music. And listen to the voices. Quiet, please. batch of mail from the States. <laughs> what more can a man ask? 
In Cairo on a hot night? But of course it was too good to last. Friend. And when I looked back at her, 
she go? It was midnight, and then one o'clock, and two, and then three. We still walked the streets of Cairo. The waning moon was rising in the northeast behind our shoulders as we turned our steps back to the hotel. Twice I thought I'd seen her, and twice she, if she it was, disappeared into a narrow winding street where we couldn't follow. No, I never followed women about the streets of a foreign city before, not in all my life. Well, there's little enough of that in the life of an archaeologist. The women we followed died a thousand, ten thousand years before we were born. We know them only by their portraits painted on the walls of a musty tomb. By what we find in great hermetically sealed stone caskets, wrapped in rust-colored linen and smelling of the ghost of cinnamon and myrrh and spikenard. I don't know why I did this. I know. She wanted you to come after her. Well, that's ridiculous, eh? I heard her ask for you. Well, what would she want of me? <laughs> what does a pretty gal usually want of a guy? Drinks, something to eat, a good time? Well, she could have had that from anybody. Yeah, me, for instance. But she wanted you, Austin. Well, why? Maybe she's a spy or something. A spy? Maybe she wanted to send you something. You know, you grave robbers. Maybe she knows where some old pharaoh or somebody is planted. Yeah, that could be, I suppose. Well, I'm for bed. i got to get out to the diggings early. Fine night we had. Yeah, forget it. You got a room, huh? Yeah, right down the hall. Well, knock on my door when you get up. All right. Good night. Night. Say, they uh, have this incense all the time around this place, huh? What do you mean? Don't you smell it? Smells like a funeral. I don't. Oh. Yeah, I suppose. Night. Night, Austin. I could have told him what the incense was. I've smelled cinnamon and myrrh and spikenard too often not to recognize it instantly. When I opened the door to my room, the smell was almost overpowering, used as I am to the funeral spices of ancient Egyptian tombs. No. No, I'm not going to tell you what a, what a beautiful Egyptian princess of the days of Hyksos was waiting for me in the darkness. This isn't a ghost story. It's a true story. There wasn't anyone in the room. I turned on the lights. Opened the window. There wasn't anyone in the room. So I went to bed. Dreamed about sailing on Lake Michigan. The storm came up and the thunder cracked. And I was scared to death. Then I woke up and the thunder was the servant knocking on my door, bringing in my morning cup of tea. Abe and I got in my Jeep and rode out to the excavation. It's quite a distance from Cairo. But never mind just where it is, because that's my business. And the university's. That right rear tire went flat, just as I've been expecting. I forgot to put air in the spare, so we took quite a while getting it pumped up. It was late in the afternoon when we got there. Abe had never seen anything of this sort. You see, Abe, 
These places are built one on top of another almost every village and town in the east is. Mm, different periods of time, huh? Yeah, that's right. There may be any number of cities built above the ruins of another. All we do is dig out the top when you see, recover everything we can that's of historical importance, then go on carefully down to the next. What do you do with the stuff that's on top? It has to be destroyed, naturally. Oh, gee, that's too bad, ain't it? Well, we make careful records, photographs. And then you just peel off the stuff and go on to the next. That's right. This is the fourth city from the top we're working on now. Uh, see those big, that big pile of rubble over there? Yeah. That's the remains of the other three cities. Gee, that seems a shame. All those years of work and living and everything. Well, we save artifacts, of course. <laughs> save what? No, uh, things that people made, pot shards, fragments of wall painting, decorations, that sort of thing. Uh, what do you do with the people you find? People? Yeah. Oh, mummies, uh, various things. We read the inscriptions, decide whether the fellow is important enough to investigate further. The Egyptian government has a great deal to say about the contents of tombs, you know. Uh, find any gold? Not here so far, but we probably will. This part where we're standing was the necropolis of this particular city. Uh-huh. The cemetery, you see. Oh, yeah. It's reasonable to suppose that there are other tombs under here. That's where you find the jewels and the golden stuff? Mm, generally, yes. Uh, say, Austin, why don't you get a steam shovel in here? You'd move this stuff a lot quicker. And probably smash some priceless inscriptions or paintings into bits. No, my boy, we do this gently. Uh-huh. And you can read this stuff, huh? The hieroglyphics? Hieroglyphics comes from two Greek words originally meaning carving by priests. Okay, Professor. Can you read it? Yeah, of course. I can read a good deal of the later writings by sight. When we get down to the real ancient stuff, that's uh, a little more difficult. Uh, what does this say? What? Uh, this slab here. Yeah, let's see. Uh, here was I, Hotep, presented with a... Well, I guess you'd say invested with the working tools of those who build. In my hand, I, Hotep, did take, uh, took, the tools of the second uh, grade of workmen in stone, the uh, plumb, the square, and the... The level, huh? How'd you know? There were masons in those days. Well, sure. How do you think they built all this stone stuff? Hey, look at that. What's that there? Uh, it's a name. Uh, Sholem. Uh, it's probably Solomon. Yeah, this was in Solomon's time. Uh, right alongside the name. The middle stone of an arch, which is the secret. The keystone. These fellas didn't know how to build an arch. Well, that's right, they didn't. Why are you so excited about it, though? Hey! What? Look at that. This? Yeah, that's a very fine example of wall painting. Look how the colors are still bright. Look how they... Yeah. You see the same thing I see, don't you? You know what I saw. You know whose portrait was painted on the edge of the slab that came from a tomb that was old in the time of Augustus Caesar. Coincidence or not, here was the face of the woman who waited for me the night before. 
Shepherd's Hotel. It's amazing how racial characteristics persist through centuries in Egypt. I have seen Egyptian men who might have been Tutankhamun's own brother. I've seen women, but you wouldn't blame me for feeling my hackles rise a little at this uncanny resemblance to the woman who disappeared. I kept smelling myrrh and spikenard and cinnamon. But I hadn't much time to think of it then. Martin Weaver, who was in charge of the actual excavation, came up behind us. Well, I'm glad you're back, Orson. Oh, hello, Martin. How are we doing? Uh, Dave Feldman, Martin Weaver. Oh, yeah. Hello. Well, day before yesterday, we broke through a place, Austin, that goes down to the city underneath this one. You did? Yeah, one of the workmen found a big sandstone slab, and we cleared it away completely. I've got the big shears rigged over it now, and I thought we'd wait till you got here to lift the slab. Uh, you want to do it tonight or what? Oh, gosh, let's do it now, Austin. Well, what do you think? Getting dark. Let's have a look at it. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're back. Uh, bring anything to drink with you? something deathly about them. It's not an archaeologist's job to be sentimental or superstitious. None of us would stay on the job very long if we were. But the half-inch steel cable was attached to a block of stone that was the only thing that separated us from something that happened perhaps 40 centuries ago. And well, there are times when a man's entitled to shiver a little in the wind that rises over the desert at sunset. Abe was beside himself with excitement. Let's pull it up, Austin. Go on, let's pull it up, huh? Go ahead, Martin. Okay. Glad we got the engine. That slab weighs about 70 tons. Go ahead. A little higher. Gosh. <laughs> the effort. Oh, man. That air you're breathing, Abe, was breathed by pharaohs long before Moses let his people out of this country. Gee. Okay, hold it, Martin. Right. Uh, you, you going down there, Austin? Tomorrow. Oh, not now. No, no, it's late. Oh, gee, I'd like to go down there. We will in the morning. Uh, how is it? Let's take your flashlight. Yeah. yeah mummy case, some wall paintings. Let me see. Take the flashlight. Oh. Boy, oh boy. It isn't far down there. I'm going to jump down. No, 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 wait. Don't do that. I'll be all right. Now, don't go running all over that place, tracking it up, Abe. I won't, boy. It's dark down here. Get a ladder, Martin. Yeah, okay. You hear me, Abe? I hear you. Don't your flashlight. Oh, gone it. That's the last time you... Here. Now, stand still. I'm standing still. Hey, Austin. What? There's a picture on the wall. What picture? Over here on the wall, Curtis. I dropped the light. Well, stand still. Martin will be back in a minute with his light. Austin. What? There's something in here. Well, be careful. It might be a snake. No, it ain't a snake. Abe. Abe. Abe, what happened? Look out, Austin! Look out, the slab! We worked 
night long, Martin and I, splicing that steel cable and raising the heavy slab that had imprisoned Abe in that place of the dead. We had no hope, but what could we do? A miracle might have happened. There might have been a chink between the slab and the opening it covered, an opening through which a few breaths of air might have seeped into the tomb. The snake might not have bitten them. He might have killed it. So we told each other all through the night. The stubborn cable cut our hands and defied our every effort. The sun was just rising when we at last had made it fast, and Martin started the engine. We fastened the rope onto the cable, and we swung the great stone slab aside. I was down in the tomb almost before it had cleared the opening. It was too late. I nearly sickened as I called to Martin. He jumped down, too. Oh, my good... What happened to him? I thought it was a snake. No snake did that. No. I saw a pigeon once that a hawk had been at. We... We'd have been too late even if the slab hadn't fallen. Well... Lawson. What? That mummy case. Was the cover off it last night when you looked down here? Yes, 
out. In the lobby of Shepherd's Hotel. And the inscriptions on the wall were terrifying. There were secrets there that men would give their lives to possess today. There were secrets there that we've only begun to imagine today. I'm a scientist, I know. Or do I? We forgot the thing in the coffin. We we forgot the thing on the floor. And it grew darker and darker in the tomb. And I read on and on. I stood before the painting of the one who was Osiris' daughter. Long black hair. Red lips that smiled at me. And my heart stopped at the inscription under the portrait. I read it over again. Be not afraid. Ah, Oosh Tin. Carved into the living rock of the ancient heretic characters uncounted centuries ago. Not by the hand of the artist. I knew who had carved my name. Be not afraid, Austin. And I wasn't afraid at all when I discovered that the thing that was making a dock down there was a great slab of sandstone slowly swinging around and down to imprison us all in the tomb that the wife of Osiris had cursed. Martin Weaver was a very brave man. Martin Weaver didn't scream and cry in the heavy dark. Martin Weaver talked to me quietly. It'll be all right, Austin. The workmen will be here before long, and they'll see the slab, and Ibrahim knows how to run the engine. I hope so, Martin. I hope they'll be in time. They'll be in time. He'll start the engine and pull the thing off. All right. I hope so, Martin. Sure. They'll know that something's wrong. Where are you? Right here. Well, stand still. I am standing still. I thought I heard you move. Oh. You afraid, Austin? Are you? Not particularly. But I... Dragged as I followed whoever it was through a door 
But I knew it couldn't be there. And a voice breathed in my ear. And I smelled cinnamon and myrrh and spikenard. And I followed on. And soon there was a glimmering of light ahead of me, and I felt a hand release my arm. And I walked on toward the light. Then, in a little while, another little room hewn out of the solid rock. And a light burning. A little bronze lamp at the head of a mummy case of lacquered painted wood. And the portrait image on the lid of the sarcophagus. The same face. The smile. And I came closer to read the inscription I knew would be there. An inscription put there so many, many years ago. I have freed you, Austin. Now free me. My hand went to the fastening of the lid. When I looked up to the wall above, the portrait again. But with a difference. The same costume, the same jewelry, the same headdress. But the head was the head of a hawk, the head of Osiris' daughter. So I sit here, and the little bronze lamp is flickering low. here in the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And this is Monster Month, and we're kicking off Monster Month here on the podcast with The Mummy. 
just want to talk a little about Monster Month, how we're uh, kind of hitting just the universal movie classic monsters. But that, to me, is Halloween. that's all i want to watch every halloween and that's all i want to talk about is mummy dracula frankenstein werewolf and invisible man you know that's all i want to do (laughs) so uh i was very excited uh, heading into these five episodes this month and particularly very excited about being able to talk with you guys about this first of all man i love quiet please yeah i was introduced to quiet please by you guys and we've done three. Yes, this is our third one. Really fast on the heels of Thing on the Forgo board, but I couldn't resist given the mummy theme. Well, this third one, I finally decided that I don't think it can fail. <laughs> I, I enjoy it so much. And it's really that introduction and that piano. Uh, I guess I'm kind of giving away what I thought of this episode before <laughs> we get too far into it. But is there a reason why suspense or perhaps escape and maybe some others are more culturally uh, remembered than Quiet, Please? I think most of Quiet, Please's episodes were lost for a long time. I'm not a great historian on the subject, but I'm pretty sure the bulk of the episodes that exist today were uncovered in the 80s. Wow. And oh, a lot of them are wow. of really poor quality. Not Whence Came You that we just listened to, no. but the majority of them are like you need to put in headphones and you need to be devoted and really listen hard and maybe even have one of the scripts that are online in front of you to hear some of them. So I think that's part of it. And it was never as popular in its day. It was sort of a critic's really? darling, but not a mainstream success the way Lights Out had been for right. Willis Cooper. That's interesting and unfortunate, (laughs) all of that. My first note is, uh, I went back and wrote my first note after listening to it, and I wrote, I didn't take a lot of notes, and it was because I was transfixed. The more notes I take, the more snarky they usually are. See, Eric, I took four pages worth of type (laughs) notes in this episode. I kid you not, but I've heard it before, and... It is such a complex, mm-hmm. well-written story that it's hard not to. If you've heard it a couple times, I kept seeing and hearing more things in the story, starting with the title, uh, which the first couple times I listened to it, it kind of went past me. But then I was listening to it for the podcast, and I went, Whence Came You? Seems like it's from something. I feel like I should know that. And so I did a little Googling, and it, this is apparently full of Freemasonry stuff. Oh, Whence, oh, yeah. Whence Came You is lifted straight from the entered apprentice ritual, apparently. That's something like the Grand Master asked the apprentice, Whence Came You? And the answer is from the Lodge of the Holy St. John of Jerusalem. So he echoes that line right at the beginning, Mm because the title's Whence Came You, and his first line is, I came from Jerusalem. So it's an intentional. How do you know that? I thought masonry was supposed to, it was all secret. (laughs) How did you, are you a mason? (laughs) No. Because if you are, cool. I want to know the handshake, (laughs) and I want in. It took a lot to find it, because there's a lot of weird (laughs) stuff. You're being followed. (laughs) You have triggered alarms all over the internet. No, there is actually. You're not supposed to know that much about masons. It's all secret. There is actually a podcast called Whence Came You that is a Freemason podcast. And that's the first thing that came up when I Googled Whence Came You. And in fact, I found from several years ago, this podcast, Whence Came You, serialized Whence Came You, the Quiet Please episode, over five episodes of their podcast oh, and wow. talked about the different Mason cool, the nuts, stuff nuts, in it. How yeah. can they have a podcast? Isn't everything supposed to be secret? <laughs> 
It's not what it once was. I mean, you can... <laughs> how do you know that? I can introduce you to a Mason. It's the age watch. of the internet. There's no privacy for secret yeah. societies anymore. <laughs> oh, you watch. <laughs> we're about to make this a secret thing. As soon as we're done, we're getting a secret handshake. <laughs> The three of us. Um, it is exceptionally well written. I did not know it was full of masonry, it Masonic actually, symbolism. To get a little my geek on it, there was a little reminiscence of Cast of the Montiago, the Poe story, because in that story, as uh, Montresor is leading his buddy, whose name I forgot, down, there's a little misunderstanding between them, similar to the one in this story of someone referring to masonry and that. Mm-hmm. And the one person doesn't know what they're talking about, and the other one recognizes it as secret society, and it sort of implies a difference in class between them, a difference in social potential. Yeah, I also think it was a little bit of a joke. He was like, yeah, there were masons back then. And he's like, yeah, look, they make stone (laughs) stuff. They make stone stuff, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But I also wonder if there's a slight suggestion of some connection with the mason things that Abe recognizes, which causes him to become so excited and literally leap into the abyss (laughs) and get himself killed. Uh, So there might be more Freemason stuff going on in here than what I picked up on. They they mentioned Solomon, who was the master builder, if I have my masonry lore right in my head. Yeah, the lore of masonry is all connected to the steps of building Solomon's temple and blah, 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 blah. I don't understand it, but I know that's a big deal. masons, but blah, 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 blah. (laughs) (laughs) Powerful behind the scenes. Uh, George Washington was one, helped found our country. Blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't catch any of that. (laughs) I didn't catch it the first time I listened to it. It jumped out at me because I'm a fan of secret society stuff and global conspiracy and the Illuminati. And it's just, I love those kinds of stories. I grew up with that. So let's talk about the story itself. I love the writing. There are some phrases that I started to write down, but just rust-colored wrap smelling of cinnamon and myrrh. Smells like a funeral was a great descriptor to me. When you're writing a novel, of course, there's those descriptors. But when you're writing radio, if you use too much novel like <laughs> descriptors mm-hmm. then you're just being read a book and i think there's a specific style to writing description for radio that i think they absolutely nailed to create that imagery and that the theater of the mind in my head well mm-hmm. and cooper and chapel are such a great pairing both of them bring so much that cooper knows how to write for chapel's voice and chapel can deliver cooper's lines so well yes it smells like a funeral it's really serves to put you it's a great turn of phrase and it puts you in the character's perspective because that's these stories are so strongly in chapel's character's perspective Mm -hmm. Uh, another great line is this isn't a ghost story this is a true story by the end Mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt but by the end i was so taken with that line because it was in an entertaining way the narrative equivalent of going down one street and then backing out and we're going to go a different direction. The dirty trick of it is the way we're going to go is so much weirder than a ghost story. Mm -hmm. But it's given to you in the context of it's nothing weird. Yeah, and I think it plays into, I think, thematically what the story is overall about. It feels like it runs in this engine of inevitability. It's almost a little of that free will versus fate when he gets into the tomb, finds that his name was written there thousands of years ago. He's saying this isn't a ghost story. It's a true story. These are facts that can't be changed that all leads up to him sort of moving down this course. There are even moments when he says to the audience, to the listeners, when he first sees at the dig the painting of the mysterious woman from the bar, he says, 
you know what I saw there. Yeah. He has yeah. this idea that I'm just moving on this path until he finally gets to the point where he has a decision to make at the very end when he's going to open the coffin and you just freeze there because finally he has to do something. He's not being dragged along this path. He's finally reached a point of choice and it just freezes there. Why do you think it ended there? And before you answer that, I want to express how much I dislike open-ended endings. And we I think we've discussed this before. Oh, yeah. You see after school mm-hmm. special and they would stop it and then we had to discuss them as a class. Like, what would you do if you were the bully in this? And I'm like, no, just tell me what happens. Uh, <laughs> I don't like not knowing what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction and, and those kind of things that make me crazy. In this story, for the first time I can think of, I'm not bugged by that ending. In fact, it creeped me out. I loved it. I pumped my fist. Yeah, that's a cool way to end this. First of all, did you like it? And second of all, why? I liked it. And in fact, my enjoyment of it wasn't so much that it didn't go too far. I enjoyed it because it actually went farther than I would have expected. The story, according to my own sort of horror story biorhythm, felt like it normally would have ended when Martin died. And then Mm -hmm. I was just trapped in this chamber. And then there's the rest of the story. And then he's taken into this other chamber Mm -hmm. and there's more to it. So in some ways, I felt that that was bonus extra story. Right. Yeah, it reminded me a little of thing on the Forble board in that he, uh, Austin, was put in kind of a similar situation where the daughter of Osiris was saying, I freed you, um, now you owe me. Mm-hmm. I mean, the creature in Forble board didn't do something for him, but that is feeling of obligation. Mm-hmm. And here you don't well, know what he's going to do. Behind the locked door had that. Yeah, behind yeah. the locked door had that as yes. well. That's why I really liked it, that he had a dilemma that was not just life and death dilemma. If I open this, is she just going to kill me? Um, Or do I actually really owe her? Because she led me out of this chamber with Osiris, the hawk-headed, which he didn't have a hawk head in Egyptian mythology. Uh, I think it was Horace, his son. So I I think Cooper was... The fact that you even know (laughs) any of that. I, I did bother to look up like, did Osiris and Isis have a daughter traditionally? No. No. Horus, who had Horus a Horus was the son, and then there was another falcon son. head. You so guys I just can't enjoy anything. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is how we enjoy it. <laughs> this is enjoyment for me. I love the ending. It's a frozen moment of horror. Really, it's really yeah. terrifying to think of him sitting in there. How long? I, mean, I think that's part of it, too. It suggests that he might just sit there. He I might not he make a choice. Yeah. Kind of he suge- might run out of th- air because they, they right. suggest with that slab over the top of the tomb that there might not be enough air when they're mm-hmm. trying to save Abe. So he might just keel over. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I'm sure that the trail mix is stale by now, so there's not much to eat. The old Egyptian. Oh, I, I wasn't sure. The where manna you going. take with you to the other world. I'm sure. The old trail mix Egyptian joke. Yes, they, they, they had trail mix. They invented trail Traditional mix. I'm just trying gorp. to keep up here. <laughs> some stuff out there. He's just making up research that he did. (laughs) Yes. I'm not above it. Exactly right. One thing I want to talk about is the one thing that made me kind of uncomfortable in here, and I tried to do some research on it, was this weird idea that Egyptian women are beastly ugly. Struck me as a pretty I'm wondering, racist. I'm dying to know what you Googled for the <laughs> Egyptian women stereotypes. I didn't know if this was like a stereotype that I had somehow missed, or if it was just Cooper trying to set up this mystery woman who is so beautiful. So I just decided to denigrate an entire race to set up his, his story a little better. Right. But it's pretty harsh, right? Yeah. 
I think that we, as old-time radio fans, listen to a lot of things that have gross stereotypes. Um, and I think it hit me harder than others because I'm such a fan of Cooper. And I project this sort of temporal enlightenment on him because I think he's so smart and I love his script. So I just wanted to say that as we're praising this up and down, that that was a little a little tough to hear. Not one of the elements we're praising. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Outstanding denigration of women. Man, yeah. first grade. <laughs> <laughs> but now back to how awesome those women right. <laughs> I love, as usual, the really casual intro we get to his character. I'm not a storybook archaeologist, so I went back to my room. I had a gin and tonic, read my mail from America. And then, this is the first time I caught this, like my third time listening to it. I think there's a little bit of a dirty joke in here. Did you catch it right at the top? No. No. He goes back to his hotel room for a bath, a gin and tonic, and a large batch of mail from the States. And then he says, what more could a man ask for? There's this pause. And then he says, in Cairo on a hot night? Go back and listen. There's this ellipsis where there's some answer to that question we don't hear. Right. And he responds to it with, right. no. Ah, it, interesting. No. I thought Usually that's what a man would ask for, but no, it's too hot. And have you seen the women? <laughs> <laughs> what other uh, observations, gentlemen, about... Uh... I think it's this old-fashioned idea of what being dressed was. Because when Abe, who I love, by the way, comes into his room at first and he keeps trying to get him to go out with him, he's like, hey, put on a shirt, let's go out. And I was like, is he shirtless? But I mean, Okay, he's probably just in an undershirt. And then there's some more dialogue. And then he's like, let's go out, put on some pants. And I'm like... Austin, are you just buck naked drinking a gin and tonic? I did have to stop and like, okay, I'm going to, in my head, put him in like pajamas pants. <laughs> I Maybe a robe. I caught that as well. And uh, I had a, a giggle and uh, I thought it was just super hot. I think it would be awesome if he was just walking around with a gin and tonic naked. It's not That's as it. awesome as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> Theater of the mind, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Radio is whatever you want it to be. Next podcast, Naked with Gin and Tonics, boys. We'll never get through it. I also wanted to call out because I thought it was so amazing, the dialogue of when Martin and he are trapped, oh. trying to convince each other that they're both sitting still. Yeah, that oh, is yeah, amazing, that, that passage. That is one of the top five radio drama scenes of all time. Them, I thought it was brilliantly written terrifying and, and they're the both dark. so calm and i'm freaking out it, it, it is a lesson in understatement as yes. a performer as a director as a um, writer and it was intended from the writing because i think that whole scene opens with austin praising how brave yeah. martin was which automatically gets you frightened because he's talking <laughs> in the past tense he's kind of almost eulogizing him and you're like he has three oh, sentences boy. in a row to start with his name yep. martin was a brave man martin, martin was martin is place. so dead yes <laughs> you're like oh wow <laughs> And even when he dies, it's this creepy sigh. He just sort of exhales. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not a blood-curdling scream, and it all moves you toward this really kind of weird, somber funeral process. Then he's just sort of escorted solemnly into the next chamber mm -hmm. to open this sarcophagus. Though he does hit his head on the wall. <laughs> ah, comedy! <laughs> <laughs> and the old... Uh... A three thousand year old banana peel. <laughs> uh, let's vote. I will start. I didn't quite do that kind of in depth research. Uh, again, though, I am going to pay this a compliment that my notes. I, I just stopped typing. 
and I thought I should go back now and get some smart pants notes and make sure I know what I'm talking about. But I decided not to for really, truly this reason. I was enthralled. I was scared. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was suspenseful, and I had never heard it before. It is up there with the Boris Karloff mummy uh, <laughs> universal movie, which I also adore. I am listening to this every Halloween for the rest of my life. Wow. Uh, I would say this is a classic. I was struck listening to it of a little bit of what might, if I listened to all of Quiet Please, would be a little formulaic aspect of Chapel's mm -hmm. character, which on the one hand, I've loved it twice. Why would I not love it another 90 times? <laughs> um, <laughs> but if I were to sit down and listen to all 90 of these, eventually I might go, yeah, it's kind of the same, if it ends up being kind of the same. But having heard it twice now, well, three times, yes. Mm -hmm. It's awesome, and I want to hear more. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a classic with the only caveat being the Ugly swipe women. all of Egyptian <laughs> women. Um, and honestly, aside from that, I don't think you would have any guess that this was from 1948. I mean, on the page, this could be a really contemporary story. I thought of one more thing I wanted to add before we, yeah. before we close it out of... The description of the, of Osiris mm -hmm. when they find him in there of that oh. is this critical moment of I'm either going to lose the audience completely here or if they go with me, they'll go with me through anything of just this creature man thing in their robe. Hawkhead. Yep. yep. Worked. But I think that's why Cooper takes such efforts to, to make you live the real mundane life of his protagonist so you Feel him, you feel like you know him, so that he can lead you by the end of the story into somewhere fantastical and incredible, and you're totally on board. He's got a little bit of Hitchcock in him in the writing that I've seen so far, and the idea of you know average everyday guy in fantastical situations. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, well, thank you for bringing this for us, Joshua, yes. and thank you to everybody for listening. Tim, hey, you should go to ghoulishdelights.com. There you can find other episodes of this podcast, and you can find out information about live performances we do, because we do live versions of some classic old radio scripts, and uh, information about that can be found at ghoulishdelights.com. You can also go to iTunes and write a review. Please write a review. And, you know, if you're writing a review of this episode, let us know if you're a Freemason and <laughs> what level you're at, if you're at, like, the spackle level i don't know what levels that Freemason third. okay although uh, that's very high level that's yeah, a okay. record speed i think that's what it's based on yes. oh if uh you want to continue listening next week we're going to continue monster month and it's my pick yeah and we are going to uh, uh go with the monster frankenstein and do the uh, classic uh, uh version from suspense so until then now? Now what? Now we go see the town? Come on, put on your pants. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>